We also speak a word of welcome to everyone. It's a great joy that we have to gather together to study a portion of God's word. As you see on the board tonight, we want to study a quotation from Jesus in the King James Version in Matthew 16 and verse 18. I would like to read the extended context to bring things up to date where we are, and then we're going to march right through this lesson today. And as last night, we talked about this. Different ways to present the gospel that will help us be more effective in those that we come in contact with. Well, tonight, this lesson is designed to answer questions that are commonly asked. Now, I'm not going to stop each time and say, well, this is one, this is one, but I will some along the way. But the content of this lesson will answer many questions that your people in the community will ask you. Sometimes what young people growing up in the church, you know, they may ask, or, you know, where is this and how do I learn this and all that. So we want to really go through and this lesson is approximately a 35-minute lesson, so I'm kind of making a commitment here not to preach as long as I did last night. But um, I want everybody to get equipped. One of the duties of an evangelist is to equip the saints. And I want everybody, men and women, to be equipped to talk to people you come in contact with about the gospel, the church, salvation, and many things that that includes. Would you please turn with me uh, to your translation of choice? I will be preaching from the King James Version, Matthew, the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 13. The Bible said, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, said, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say you're Jer John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah's or one of the prophets. He says unto him, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There's your quotation. There's the title of today's lesson. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. A great lesson within itself, the keys to the kingdom. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then verse 20. Then charged he the disciples they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. We're going to study tonight a very, very important topic. One that's important to you individually. One that's important for you to get equipped to talk to other people about. That is the way the Lord planned for us to share the gospel with other people. And so we're going to ask you to pay very close attention. If you need any clarification on any point, please feel free to ask. I am more than happy to uh, discuss that with you. 
There, this type of a sermon is ever-changing. As other questions come along, then I'll modify it, even though it may have the same title, but it will have different points. But this lesson will be one that will answer the majority of the questions that people in, the, in home studies will ask. So if you can get equipped with this, it will help you be more successful in the conversion of the lost. Among the sermons that I preach, I love preaching about the Lord's church. It is so special. It is so important to him. And I want us today to create within ourselves a great desire to know more and more about the Lord's church. The religious world today is so divided, but yet they have one common link. They just label themselves basically this or that community church. And they'll accept you and you'll accept them and different people in the community. They, they have a unique relationship regardless of what you believe, regardless of how you worship, regardless of what you hold as a doctrine, which they don't like that word doctrine, then they just form a union and they make up a man's church. Today, we're not interested in a man's church. I have one entire lesson that I don't give real often because I don't want to just preach what man or woman has started, but I've got a big long list of probably 50 churches, uh, 50 religious organizations started on this date, started in this place, and it just on down the line that we can see all kind of religions started by man. We're not interested in any of those tonight. We're only interested in the one that Jesus said, I will build. I'm going to make more comments on our reading of Matthew 16 when I get down to point number eight in our verses today. So I will forego that at this moment, but in a few minutes we'll be there. But I ask of you, please, if you have additional thoughts about what people will commonly ask, you know, people may ask you questions that I've never heard before, and I, I would love that because I want to keep the lesson current and ready to go for everybody. Wherever you are, questions will be asked, sometimes the same thing over and over again, and that's fine. And I want to share with you at least one solid way with book, chapter, and verse of how to handle these. Therefore, let's begin. I will build my church. We're talking about the church, the church of our Lord. Now, I hope you never roll your eyes, give a disgusting sigh, oh no, another lesson on the church. I hope you love the church so much that you are thrilled to hear about the church. You know, I remember one time, uh, it had been a number of years ago, that one young man in the church, and uh, he told me, he said, oh, you're getting ready to start a meeting. Well, don't preach on the church. Don't preach on baptism. Don't preach on this and that. He had a big old long list. And I said, you know what? What do you want me to preach on? He said, just kind of g generic things. I said, buddy, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm going to preach book, chapter, and verse. I'm going to lay out sermons on the church, on salvation, on baptism, on living a Christian life, on things we have a Bible for, Bible passages. And that's what we want to see. Well, 
eventually, you know, I went off to help my meeting and we discussed that a little bit later after I got back. He said, well, what did you preach? I said, I preached just what I said I was going to preach. And this is what we need to have. I want every preacher, every congregational teacher to be prepared to give a public lesson when your time rolls around on the Lord's church. There's many approaches, great approaches. I'm not saying this is the best approach, but I'll show you one thing. It is a approach. It is a good approach because it's bringing plenty of Bible verses. Okay, Old Testament. The first three passages are the Old Testament. And I'm going to share with you, I'm not going to a great discussion on them. This is a great lesson within itself, looking at these three passages. In Isaiah 2, verse 1 and 2, this is the prophecy about the New Testament church. Literally hundreds of years before the church was established, the writer of Isaiah let us know there's coming one, a kingdom down the road. And then Joel 2, verse 28 through 32, which by coincidence or by providence, whichever one you want, I believe it's providence, but whatever case you want to think about, but the passage of Joel 2, verses 28 through 32, Peter, in delivering the very first sermon that people could obey, he quoted Joel 2. 28 through 32. He laid it out so they could see it. So therefore, Joel made a prophecy. In years to come, there will be a kingdom or a church that you can be members of. And Joel quoted that. And I'll show you that here in a few moments. In Daniel's second chapter, verse 44, it is very interesting. Again, he can establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. I mean, this is wonderful. So therefore, what we're doing here. We are looking back to time, to history. I've been working quite a bit of recent times on the history of the Lord's church. Now, I'm not anywhere close. I probably won't even be close next year uh, when we're here to uh, preaching that sermon. I'm doing a lot of research on it. But I wanted people to see the beginning of the, the very thought that we have biblical record of and bring you all the way up to date. I've heard preachers do that, and I was super impressed by them doing it. And I've seen congregational teachers and elders and such like. They've done it. They've done a great job. I've learned a lot and listened to those type of lessons. I want to preach one, but I don't have that one up yet. Not that I want to give during our evangelistical revivals. However, I want you to understand these three prophecies were not the only ones about the church. It's just a few of them. For an example, David, in his writings, is quoted in the very first sermon that we talked about in Acts 2, verse 25, verse 29, and verse 34. Now, here, Peter is given the lesson. Let's turn together to Acts 2. I want to just show you a few little highlights that's going on in Acts, the second chapter. I love preaching on Acts 2, whether we're preaching on the church, whether we're preaching on salvation, whether we're preaching on Holy Spirit. I love preaching on Acts 2. I would love to hold a whole weekend meeting on Acts 2, and we could do that. But I want us to look at Acts 2. In Acts, the second chapter, please look at verse 14. Now understand where we're at. We're at the very chapter where the church of our Lord began, Acts 2. 
Now, we've got to be sure that we explain this correctly. I have said it wrong, and even though I, I probably heard many people say it this way, but I did not say it clear enough. It wasn't wrong like incorrect. It was wrong in the fact it did not give enough information to clarify. For an example, I said the whole of the church was established in Jerusalem or the church established on the day of Pentecost. Well, which one? Which day of Pentecost? You know, it's very interesting when you study about that because do you know how many Pentecost days there have been? A ton of them. And the church, you say, and I've done, I've done this. And when the day of Pentecost is fully come, you know, Acts 2 verse 1 and march forward, the correct and more detailed answer to that question is very simple. The church is established and was established on the first Pentecost after the resurrection. That's what I want you to tell people. When they tell you, you know, listen, where ask you, they ask you, where, when is the church that you belong to established? You say, it, the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's when it was established. Now that clarifies it. Very, very clear. To say the day of Pentecost is not incorrect, but it's not enough information for them to take and really fully understand. Okay, now that is in Acts 2, verse 1. But look at verse 14. Verse 14, Peter is beginning the first gospel sermon that people had a chance to obey. You know what I used to say? It's the first gospel sermon. Wrong. I'm getting ready to show you that in a minute. When we get down here to some verses, I'm going to show you that was incorrect. It wasn't the first gospel sermon, but it was the first gospel sermon that people have the opportunity to obey. So we need to clarify some things that will help people to understand it because if we don't give them enough information, it may not have the result that we really earnestly want. So therefore, in Acts 2, verse 14, I love this verse. Peter, he stood up with the 11. He lifted up his voice and he began to preach. Acts 2, 14 begins the very first gospel sermon. And it goes from verse 14 through verse 36. You know, I've thought about it many times. I wish the sermon could have been just a little bit longer and we could have learned a little bit more. But all we know is what's in that sermon. Now, this would be a really good sermon for any of you good brethren to give. The sermon of Acts 2, 14 through 36 is a great sermon. It's a great message. If you would listen or read, uh, Brother Joe Heisel wrote the commentary that we've published through the years. And he's wrote the commentary in the book of Acts. And he's got a great writing of Acts, the second chapter, to help facilitate your studies in this area. Well, this sermon began at verse 14 and went down to verse 36, and then people were baptized. Then people were continuing steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, and then verse 47. In verse 47, it says, and this is so wonderful, I just love it. I love the way this chapter ends. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people, 
And the Lord asks to the church daily such as should be saved. The church now is established right here in Acts 2 and verse 47. The things that David, Daniel, Joel, and the writer of Isaiah wrote is all now come to pass. And that's been hundreds of years ago, and now we're marching forward. Hundreds of years, and the, the tone, the message began to change. It was modified. Not that they were wrong. No, no, it was getting closer and closer. Now let's take a good look here. Would you please note with me in Matthew 3, verse 1 and verse 2. Listen to John the Baptist. You remember the great John the Baptist? He was the one who laid the foundation for the first coming of Jesus. He was telling people all about Jesus coming, and he was thrilled with being in that position, and he did a great job. You would never, ever go wrong by studying this great man, John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, by inspiration of Scripture, it was said, a man born of woman, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet John the Baptist said, oh, but there's somebody coming after me. He's greater than I am. I am not even worthy to undo the shoelaces of his shoes. John the Baptist was not elevating himself. Other people were elevating him, but he did a great job, a great work. It's a very important message, but it's God's word. Would you go with me to the book of Matthew, the third chapter, verse 1 and 2, and listen to what the word of God said. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now listen. He's preaching, repent. Change your life, change your ways. He said, I want you to repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in the ministry is going to say, I will build my church in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter. But here John the Baptist, a forerunner, laying the foundation for the first coming of Jesus. He said, listen, it's at hand. You know what that little two-word phrase means? It means right around the corner. It means drawing nigh. He's letting people know, listen, all these prophecies of Isaiah, Joel, Daniel, and David, of all their writings, of all of their preaching, let me tell you what, now we're hundreds of years this side of that and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The church is right around the corner. It's getting ready to happen. And I just can imagine, they just chill them arm. You know, just thinking about living in that day and time. It's no longer in the distant future. It's in the immediate time, the present time frame. It's at hand. John the Baptist preached it. If you flip your page, if necessary, look at Matthew, the fourth chapter and verse 17. Now, instead of John the Baptist preaching it, Jesus preached it. The word of God said, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached the same thing John the Baptist preached. They preached the same thing that men of old, Isaiah, Joel, Daniel, and David preached. It is the same message. It's just getting closer to it. Just like the judgment day, the end of the world. Now we can preach about a variety of messages, 
but we're just getting closer and closer each day we live. Well, they are getting closer and closer to the church being established. And then, look at this verse. Get a hold of this. Mark 9 and verse 1. Mark 9, verse 1, it really drives a point home. Jesus is the spokesperson here. He lays this out so clear, and it really motivates us to understand how he really got people ready to go. As he preached this, you know what he said to them? He said, there are some of you that stand here that will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Whoa. Wow. Just think about it. If Jesus was your spokesman, and he's not, but if he was, and he said that, he would say, there's some of you that's in this assembly right now that you're not going to die before the church is established. The kingdom is fulfilled. He didn't say it. All of you will be here. He said, some of you, some will die before the church comes. But he let it be made known, it's going to come in your basic lifetime of people. Some will die, but it's going to come. It's just right here. They've already said, it's just right around the corner. It's drawing nigh. And now they're emphasizing this great and very important fact. And Jesus said, I'm going to be cut down to the chase some of you are going to be alive when it comes. Wow, how exciting. Let me parallel that. I can't say this, but I'm just giving you an illustration, okay? The judgment day, the Lord is coming again. And when the Lord comes back, I want you to know that some of you are going to still be alive when the Lord returns. Whoa. That means a whole lot more than one day the Lord's going to come. But if I were able to, and I'm not, but if I were able to, that is the force of what Jesus was doing right here. But if I was able to, and I were to say, listen, everybody, some of you are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. And we, every eye is going to see him and all that beautiful passages we have throughout Scripture. But I just want you to understand, some of you are not going to die. You can be alive. Well, that's the type of feeling that these people had. They were filled with excitement and joy. But some of the people, like the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the city and the Pharisees, some of them, they were antagonistic toward Jesus. And they were going to put him to death and they were going to fight hard to put an end to him. But let me tell you what. Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 and Mark 9 and verse 1, it illustrates exactly what we find in Matthew 16. We're going to hear from the words of Jesus, and we should never, ever draw cold, insignificant, and try to make it look like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. These are the words and the preaching of Jesus. I'm just simply echoing what Jesus preached. Oh, you'd be excited to have heard him say it, and I would be too. All right, let's look at Matthew 16. There's quite a bit of discussion here, but I'm only going to make a few very brief points, mainly because I want us to mark through this lesson, and I want to give you some thoughts along the way to really understand this great passage. You know, Matthew 16, we read it a moment ago in the Scripture reading. 
to introduce a lesson. Look at it, please. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, said, now who do men say that I am? Well, you know, did you know <laughs> every time Jesus asked a question and Peter was present, he answered. Every question Jesus asked, but two, Peter answered. Sometimes he stuck his foot in his mouth. Other times, you know, he gave good answers. Well, right here in Matthew 16th chapter, you know, he jumped out and he said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah's. Some say you're Elias or one of the prophets. In other words, they don't have a clue who you are. They don't know. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? I can just see Peter saying, you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to you, Peter. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, it didn't reveal that unto you. But my Father, which is in heaven, he did reveal that to you. And upon this rock, and upon this rock simply means upon this foundational base, that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, upon this rock, solid rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow, that was such a message right here. Jesus let me made known. I'm alive now, but I'm going to die. And I'm going to come back. Hades, the place for departed spirits. I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I will. He said, I will. Not I may. I will build my church. They're going to kill me. Three days later, I'm going to be resurrected and I will build my church. My dear friends, please understand the impact of what Jesus and other writers are saying here. This is so wonderful. And this is what I want you to share with your friends, your neighbors, your community contacts, because this is humongous in importance. Well, now the church is established. We've read that in Acts 2. Now I want you to go with me to Acts, the 20th chapter and verse 28. Oh, this is an interesting writing. This particular writing has got a lot of truths in it that I would love to share, but I'm going to just mention a couple of points. And I'd like to turn, just for the sake of giving you time to turn, Acts the 20th chapter, verse 28, written to the Ephesian elders. The Bible said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to do what? To feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church with what? His blood. His blood. Every Lord's Day, when we gather together and we have the communion service, it is a very important time because Jesus built the church. He bought it with his own blood. Let me tell you what. If you bought something with your own blood, that's pretty important to you. And this is important to Jesus. So you let friends know you love Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus. Did you know he built his own church? Would you like to be a member of the church Jesus built? And did you know 
He bought it with his own blood. Oh, you can just lay so many great points and you can get people excited. Yes, I want to be a member of the Lord's church, the one he built. I want to do the things he did. I want to follow his will. That is the heart of a Christian. Motivated to do the right thing. Motivated to believe the right message. The words of Jesus, you never, ever go wrong. Beautiful. Well, the next verse, Ephesians 5 and 23. Husbands, love your wives. Now, you might be thinking, did he just switch sermons? Is he preaching on the home now? No, I'm not preaching on the home. But there is an example or an analogy given here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. He gave himself for the church. He shed his blood for the church. Now, husbands, I want you to love your wife just like Jesus loved the church. Let me tell you what, that keeps us husbands in the straight and the narrow. Because we need to love our wife like Jesus loved the church. And she might remind you of that from time to time. That this should be a really good idea for you to go read Ephesians 5, 23 through 34. They just say, go ahead and read it all. Listen, Jesus loved the church so much. He gave up heaven to come down to earth. He lived a perfect life. Hebrew 4, 15, without sin. And now he's saying to the Ephesian elders, I want you to take over the flock and you watch over them very carefully. And I want you to teach them about the church that Jesus built, that he gave his own life for. He purchased it with his own blood. Romans 16, verse 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, being that we are church of Christ, people are going to ask the same question. I'm going to give you two or three. This is a very important passage that you learn to explain. And if you don't explain it clearly, you're going to lose your prospect. Romans 16, 16 is thumped on quite a bit. Salute one another with a holy kiss. There's been Christians all over the country in the last 43 years that I've been preaching and that I've heard say, you know, well, we don't believe in that. I go, Excuse me? What are you saying? We don't, we don't believe in holy kiss. I said, well, you better. You better believe in it. Do you believe in an unholy kiss? Jesus is simply saying here, I want you to salute one another with a holy kiss, not a sexual kiss, not anything that's immoral. I want you to salute the church with a holy kiss. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Don't ever say what's been in the Bible that we don't believe in that. People do the same thing with foot washing in John 13. They thought, no, we don't do that. We don't believe in that. Well, what? Are you kidding me? We do believe in the holy kiss. We do believe in foot washing. You've got a brother or a sister who is not able to take care of themselves. And we've had, uh, we had a brother at home that was um, having challenges and difficulties. And uh, he came, we had a tornado that come through and it, you know, knocked down a couple of trees, uh, one tree in particular at the church property. Well, eventually uh, this brother, his name was Albert, um, he went over there and he had a crutch 
and he had to you know, use this crutch to get around. But he got out and he, he started working. And one of the neighbors called me and said, Alan said, I know that uh, y'all have services tomorrow and um, you got a church laying across your driveway. I said, okay, I'm on my way. But when I got there, there was seven or eight people, not members of the church. They were working to get that tree cleaned up. Well, I began trying to book Bible studies while we cleaned the church, you know, cleaned up that tree. And then and I put the word out and numerous brethren came and we got the job done and everything went well. But the beauty part is Albert, the first guy there, he obeyed the gospel. We had Bible studies before he obeyed the gospel, after he obeyed the gospel. And the Christians of the congregation at 21st Street, they just did everything for him. Even give him a bath because he began to have a serious illness and it, the future did not look good for him on this earth. It's eternally, yes, it looked really good, but his, his condition was pretty severe. And the brethren washed his feet. So don't tell me we don't wash people's feet. You know as well as I do. If a fellow brother or fellow sister had a need physically, you brothers and sisters as appropriate would help take care of them. So don't go dismissing those passages of scripture. Now that's kind of like a different topic. So I'm back on now. But I just wanted to drive this point home. I don't want you to ever read this passage right here and say, well, we don't believe that. We just want the last half. The churches of Christ salute you. The question will come, why is there a plurality of churches? Why? And they think, well, I've got them now. No. No, you know why, we, you know why it's plural? And you need to be ready without any uh, being ugly or anything. Just why it's plural. Well, it's plural because he's talking about congregations. You know, the majority of the New Testament are the congregations that Paul wrote letters to and to people he wrote letters to like Timothy and Titus who were evangelists. You know, there were seven congregations that received letters. Some of them got two, but uh, that you can read. You know, Romans, these are the congregations. Romans, 1 Corinthians, and also 2 Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Thessalonica. Seven congregation. Corinth and Thessalonica got two letters, first and a second. And they were written to give the congregation encouragement and direction to do the right thing. And furthermore, if you go to Revelation 1 and verse 11, it will list seven more congregations. And these are the seven churches of Asia. Revelation 1 and verse 11. That one verse, it mentioned all the seven churches. So there are seven churches that are mentioned by, that we have in our Bibles, and then the seven churches of Asia that got letters from Jesus, and then there's even more churches that were mentioned that are not in those two lists. So the churches of Christ, the con congregations of Christ salute you. Just let people know, listen, I'm a member of the Lord's church. I'm a member of the church that Jesus built, and I want you to learn all of these valuable truths. Colossians 1.18 I have a whole sermon I preach on that one. And th this lesson is just putting together the things that people ask and they want to know, and this is one of them, Christ is the head of the church. You know what, Jimmy Swaggart, now some of you, depending on your age, whether you know Jimmy Swaggart, 
But Jimmy Swaggart was a, um, an Assembly of God Pentecostal kind of a guy, and he got in trouble, and guess what? He had to go to Springfield, Missouri, to the Assembly of God headquarters. He did all kind of immoral things, and he had to go to them, to the Assembly of God. Do you know how to go to the Springfield, Missouri, to straighten up any problem you find yourself in? I can give you many examples of people having to go to their earthly headquarters. We don't have one. <laughs> Ours is way up there in heaven. That's where the headquarters of the Lord's church is. The churches of Christ salute you. Just let your friends, your contact know just how important it is for them to be a member of the Lord's church. Well, what, what are people called? You know, people talk about being Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, right down the line. You know, I said, well, that's interesting. I said, but can you show me that, you know, in the Bible? The, the, this church or that church? And I love doing that because it's not there. And then they said, well, I, I can't find it, but I'll go ask my preacher. All right, you go ask your preacher, and then when we get back together our next time, you'll have it for me. Okay, that'd be great. And then next week they come and say, it wasn't there. They told me, no, it's not there. And here's how we came up with that. Let me tell you one thing. You can tell people, I'm a member of the church that Jesus died and purchased with his own blood, and I want to salute you with a holy kiss. And whenever you kiss him on their cheek or wherever, you say, we salute one another with a holy kiss when appropriate, and we will wash people's feet when appropriate, and we will do everything we can to show forth the value of the New Testament church. And you'll be saved if you will obey the gospel. People love that. Okay, look here. Followers of Jesus are called Christians. Acts eleven twenty six. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Listen, when you say, I am a Christian, you're saying, I am a follower of Jesus. And people are going to watch you tooth and toenail. They're going to keep their eye on you and just see how you handle when you get irritated, upset, mad, sick, whatever. People are going to watch you and see if you're following Christ. Acts 26 and 28, King Agrippa said, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. 1 Peter 4 and 16 if anybody suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Listen, friends, you wear the name of Christian because you're a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of his will. Never let anything get in your way of following this. And people need to know, if you're a Christian, you're following Jesus. And these three verses are the only time the word Christian is used in the New Testament. Our commitment to the Lord's church is very important. I'm just going to give you two or three points here. Matthew 6 and 33, matter of fact, the song that Brother Hayden led mentioned Matthew 6 and 33 in the upper left-hand corner of the page. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Friends, listen. The church is first in your life. Men and women, Listen. The church is first in your life. When you get ready to move, you get ready to go to vacation, you get ready to do whatever, you make sure they're the faithful church that you can worship with. 
That is putting the church first. You don't wait till you get to Timbuktu nowhere land and then all of a sudden you find out, well, there's not one around here. So I guess I won't do that today. I won't assemble today. Bad deal. Bad idea. Hebrew 10, 25 said, listen, what he said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. He said, but exhorting one another, encourage one another as much the more as you see that day approaching. Do not forsake the assembling. The first thing you do when you get ready to take a trip or you get ready to uh, relocate or whatever you're doing, you make sure they're the faithful church that you can worship at or you don't move and you don't go there and be there on the Lord's day. You've got to be that strong. That shows you love the church like Jesus loved the church. Acts 2.47, we referenced a few moments ago, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. My friends, your commitment to the Lord's church is that I will die for the church. You know that passage, and this is not on the board, no charge for this point. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the very last phrase, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last phrase of the passage. You know what that verse really means? I know it means be faithful till you die. What that verse really means is be faithful even to the point you're willing to give your life for the church. He was talking about tribulation in that passage and in the context. But he said, be, love the church so much that you can be faithful even unto death, like Stephen stoned to death, Paul beheaded, and 11 of the 12 apostles died a violent death. So the kind of love you should have for the church is the kind of love that Jesus did. Give your life for the church. That's how much we need to love it. That's why we need to, men and women, we all need to go out here and spread the word. Okay, the Lord's church. This is very important. People uh, need to understand the church, word church is used three ways in the New Testament. The universal church used in our text in Matthew 16 and 18. A local congregation, I wrote congregational, but it's a local congregation. This is a congregation at Oyster Bay in Crawfordville, Florida. I'm an elder at the congregation at Northwest 21st Street in Oklahoma City with Brother Michael Howard and with three other men. We're members of that congregation. It is a local congregation. So you have the universal church, just a church in general all over the globe. Then you have the congregation, the individual. You know, the Bible shows to the church at Corinth, to the church at Rome, to the church here and the church there. All right, and then the assembly. That is what we have right here tonight. The Bible said, if anybody comes into your assembly and they're not dressed like you are, this is a paraphrase now, you can read the passage, and you give somebody high preference over somebody else, he said, you commit sin. Wow, you know, that's kind of hard. If somebody comes in and they smell funny, and somebody else come in and they kind of smell pretty good. They got nice cologne on and dress really nice. You know, it's really easy to draw over here to them and that other guy don't get to talk, anybody to talk to. That's wrong. We can't do that. The Bible does not leave you any doubt. It says if you do that, you commit sin. 
Friends, listen. When people come into our assembly, you've worked hard to get people into your assembly. Now treat them with honor and respect. Okay, now I'm going to conclude our lesson with the last point. I don't know if it's 35 minutes or not. I didn't see what time I started, but it doesn't matter. Get a hold of this. The church of Christ is not. It is not your church. I know people say, oh, this is my church. No, it's not. You are grateful to be a member of the Lord's church, but the church is not yours and the church is not mine. And, and watch out how you word things. Don't say things that really are not accurate. You don't have a church. You have the privilege of being a member of the Lord's church. The one church. And this is very, this column right here is super, super important. This right here is how you answer many questions. Where do you go to church? What denomination are you a member of? You've been asked. What denomination are you a member of? Listen, the Lord's church is not your denomination. It's not my denomination. It's not even a denomination. Get a hold of that. It is not a denomination in any way, shape, or form. Denomination, by the own word, denotes division. Listen, people will ask you that. Where do you go to church? What, do you, what denomination are you a member of? How do you answer that? Well, we have all answered before in a way that we wished we had answered it differently. I'm going to give you a suggestion. When people ask me, what denomination are you a member of? I know they don't mean any offense. They're being kind and they're just having a conversation. They're basically saying, where do you go to church? That's really what they're saying. And let's be real. They're not being ugly. And don't dare come back at them in a mean spirit. If you are, keep your mouth shut. Do not be rude, inconsiderate. You just let them know, you know what? This might surprise you, but I'm not a member of any denomination. They go, what? No, no, I'm not. I'm not a member of any denominations. You know what a denomination is, my friend, whoever you're speaking with? A denomination is a group of people that at one time were associated with the Catholic Church, and then they got upset through the years and they've swapped off and started their own group. A denomination denotes division. The church of our Lord is not divided. The church of our Lord is one church. It began when Jesus established it and it's here until today. Practice that. Write it out how you want to answer. Drill it in your mind because you need to be able to answer the deal about your church and the deal about denominationalism. Very important. All right, these next two points go together. Not Catholic and you're not Protestant. Now this throws people for a loop. I remember knocking on doors in, in Kingston, New York, years ago. We're knocking on doors. People said, I'm Catholic. Oh, really? Okay. Where's that in the Bible? You know, talking to people. Say, and I, I honestly, I just haven't, read that or I'm whatever religion a b and c but you know I knocked on door for several hours 
with a couple of other guys. And as we went along the way, it was very interesting because everybody seemed like was a Catholic. And when they said, I'm a Catholic, that was as the door was shutted. And you were the outside, they were inside. In other words, end of conversation. But do you know what? No, we're not Catholic at all. Catholic governed by the Pope. Nope, that's not us. Nobody here would deny that. Nor are we Protestant. Now, people scratch their heads when you say, I'm not Protestant. Because when people say, oh, you're not Catholic, you must be Protestant. I go, well, with all respect, no. I'm C, none of the above. Do what? You're not Catholic and you're not Protestant. No, you know what a true, hey, listen, this is so important. I just want to make sure everybody gets it. A true Protestant. Look at that word, protest. There are people who at one time were members of the Catholic Church. They pulled away. They protested the Catholic Church and their beliefs and their practices, and they were labeled Protestants. You're not Catholic and you're not Protestant. Why am I not Protestant? Get this down. This will come up. Why am I not Protestant? Because I have never been associated with the Catholic Church. And therefore, I've never had to protest it because even though we disagree, of course, on religious things, but the only those who have been associated with the Catholic Church and they reached out and started their own group, those are the Protestants. You know what we are? We're members of the Lord's Church. Not Catholic and not Protestant. This is very important to learn to explain because you turn people's head. Sometimes you'll open their heart. You give them something to think about. This is so important. I'll assure you, the church is not an afterthought with God. It wasn't like, oh man, they done messed everything up. Let me think what I'm going to do. No, the church is not a plan B. The Lord had everything all planned before the world ever was started. Dear friends, if you're a member of the Lord's Church, God bless you. That is so wonderful. Now, please live like you're a member of the Lord's Church. Do what the Lord would do. If you've never obeyed the gospel, the, the gospel that Jesus preached. Now, we went over this more last night in our sermon on evangelism. But if you've heard the word of God, you have tonight. Believe the word, repent of your sins, confess your faults, or confess the name of Jesus. Be buried in baptism. Wash it away your sin. And the Lord will add you to the church. Another question that comes up here. Well, which church? Oh, well, I joined the church this time. No, no, you didn't join it. The Lord, because of your obedience to the gospel, he added you to the church. Not that you joined it. No, no, no. Bad language. Bad terminology, bad expressions. No, you are a member of the church because the Lord added you to it. That's the reason you're a member. You don't take credit for it, in other words. The Lord took over and helped you out. And if you've obeyed the gospel and you've sinned, you've had spiritual challenges, listen, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Let us all respond in accordance to that and repent of our sins and confess our faults and have prayer. If you would like for us to pray with you and for you, we would gladly do that.
Would you please come while we stand and while we sing?